this week we wrap up our journey, our walk, by heading up to the mountaintop with Christ as he is changed before his disciples. And we get to see some important details, things that I have never really understood up until this time when I really studied it, mainly looking at how Jesus was changing the past, correcting it, so that they could move on into a better future. And a lot of that dealing with both the exodus of the Jews as well as the prophets and everything that is taught throughout both of those time periods. And so I hope you enjoy the finished part of this walk. We're going to the mountaintop today. Amen. But praise God that he comes down to the valley to help us just as important. Well, today we, we are wrapping up our conversation about the walk. We are coming to the pinnacle of it because Ash Wednesday, Lent, and it's a, a quick road down to the cross. And so today we make our final trek up to the top. And I ask that if you are able, that you please stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. It says, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and two men, uh, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the day where you were transfigured, where you were changed, where you went up to the mountaintop and we got to see your glory, I pray that this day we might be changed. I pray that this day you might allow your glorious transfiguration to come upon us so that we will not be the same. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. <laughs> now, as a child, um, when I'd go and ride my bike around the, the community, which really wasn't community, it was country roads, um, and back in the day it really wasn't that busy, which was really nice. We used to even... Uh, take inner tubes and lay them out in the road so we could have figure eight derbies in the road because that was how not trafficked we were. Nowadays, you'd get hit by a semi-truck, so I don't 
understand that. But um, back in the day, we did that. And I had one tradition as well. When I would go out riding for a long period of time, when I would come back, the way I would come would bring me to this hill. And right when you reach the top of the hill, you're about a quarter mile from my house. And so I would just pedal as fast as I could, screaming down that hill. I'd get right into the biker stance, you know, leaning forward. My head would be over the front wheel, and I'd just be going and going, pushing, 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 because I knew if I got fast enough, I could just zoom right down that hill, swerve right into our ditch, and hit a part of the ditch that would go poof. And I'd be like three feet up in the air, and I'd land, and I'd get down, I'd lay on the grass, and try to catch my breath. I always hated it when a car would come down the road, so I couldn't do that. Um... (laughs) Pesky cars, thinking the road's their business. Um, <laughs> but I, I did that because it was, it was right at the pinnacle, and it was, it was oh, I want to just put everything into it. Well, church, we are now to the point in our walk where we are reaching the very top. And very quickly, we will zoom down the mountain towards the cross. But I want us to celebrate the fact that we are at the top of the mountain today. I don't want us to overlook that. I don't want us to underappreciate that. We've been on a long walk. We've gone through many different things trying to change us and shape us as we looked at the journey that Christ took and how it shaped our lives. And so now today, let us enjoy being at the top of the mountain before we zoom on down. I have to admit as well that... uh, this week, uh, along with everything, it's, it's been very hard um, to form some of my thoughts. And as I read through this text, I looked at it and I said, but what's the point? And I, I was trying to come up with something to understand. And I thought, yeah, I just want something. I, I wasn't even looking for you know, this big revelation that would then allow me to write books and be on TV. and I, I wasn't looking for that big epiphany. I was just looking for something to say, something to understand. And then the Holy Spirit spoke, and he said, this is about God changing the twisted past to a corrected future. And that is where we stand today. And that's what I want us to look at. As we look at this text, two questions came to my mind. First of all, why did Jesus have to be changed? Why was he changed? What was the purpose of that? As well as Moses and Elijah, why those two? Why did they have to be the ones? Well, to answer the first question, why Jesus had to be changed. His appearance comes into more of a focus and understanding for us if we look at the exodus of the Jews and what happened way back then. You see, as we read in our passage earlier, Moses going up to the mountain and and speaking with God and being changed, his face glowing, there are some similarities we can draw from this. First of all, being the fact that he was changed. His entire body was changed. Now Moses, he just had his face. He just had to cover his face. His clothes weren't changed. He wasn't dazzling white. But Jesus, when he went up to the mountain, when he spoke with God, 
everything changed about him. Because he was fulfilling that much more than what Moses was. He was coming to that point of so much greater honor than what Moses had come to. On top of it, when they are sitting there talking, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're talking about his departure that is coming. Now that word departure is very interesting because in, in that original language, it's the same word that they use when speaking about the exodus of the Jews. So you see, Jesus was not just simply leaving. He was not just simply getting ready to depart from this world. He was getting ready to have an exodus from this world, which is very, very different because if you think about the exodus, God's glory was in it. When the Jews left Egypt, everyone knew Everyone knew who this God was, and everyone knew who the Jews were, and they knew not to mess with them. And not only in Egypt, but into the land of Canaan, as they traveled, everyone heard. So much so that some even would go and disguise themselves to trick the Jews to not kill them. Because they heard what their God has done, and it caused fear and trembling throughout the nations. And so here, Jesus is coming to the point where he is going to be leading a new exodus, a greater exodus. One that is going to cause so much fear and trembling that the world will never be the same. And it's that very point that we then look into when we look into the days of Pentecost, when we look into the time where the church goes out and everyone knows about these Christians, they're hearing about them and they're seeing lives being transformed that's because the power of God went before them just like it did in the days of the Exodus. And third, you had the cloud that came down. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, God would descend in a cloud and he would speak to all the people and, and Moses would hear and write down and, and it was an amazing event. And here as well, we have a cloud descending God speaking to the disciples, giving commandments, glorifying the one who is leading the change. So, why did he have to be changed? Well, to make a statement that this is something new. The old Exodus, that was something okay. That was something that served a purpose, although they messed it up many, many times. You think of all the times throughout the desert where they would disobey and they were stubborn and they wanted to go back to Egypt. They didn't want to do what God was telling them to do. So they kind of twisted up God's original plans in the first exodus. So in the second time around, this greater exodus, Jesus leads the pathway to a future that is are more beautiful, and he corrects all the mistakes of the past to bring it forth. Now, that answers that question. But what about why Moses and Elijah? Well, Jesus had to correct the past that was so twisted from the law and the prophets. 
Moses being the one who gave the law, it made sense that he would be the representative of the law. It, it made perfect sense that he was the one that people looked to for understanding and looked to as their hero, as well as Elijah, who was the most impactful prophet in their history. Now, we might have a different view on that, but for the Jews, Elijah was the one. He was the prophet that came before all the other prophets. He was the one that led the charge for all the prophets to come. And so it made sense for him to be the representative for the age of the prophets. Not only that, but if you think about both Moses and Elijah, they both had very mysterious deaths. Moses went up to the hill and never came down. Elijah was swept away in a fiery chariot. So they look at these lives and they say, well, there's something special about them. God must not have been finished with them yet. And so it makes sense then for them to have returned one last time to bring a completion to the thoughts of the Jewish heritage. Not only that, but he had to fulfill his word. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, I believe, 17, sorry, 17, um, Jesus is talking and he's getting a lot of criticism. They say, you're teaching us things that are contrary to the word of God. You're teaching us things that the prophets never taught. And he's saying, no, 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 you misunderstand. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. I've come to complete them. And this is what he had to do. And so by bringing both Moses and Elijah together, he is able to say, look, here stands one, here stands the other, and I bring together in unity both pasts. I'm correcting all the bad that was done, all the misunderstandings, all the poor teachings, and I am now leading a new way into my ministry what exactly it means to observe the law and the prophets. And through that, they give their stamp of approval. Elijah says yes. Moses says yes. And so they are able to together move forward and give him the glory so that everyone else would not have a single thing to say about it. Because if these figureheads that they loved and cared for so much that they looked to and said, these are, these are the people that we cling to. If they say, follow Jesus, there's no argument. There's no reason to doubt that he is the way. Now, I'm still a little confused as to how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Because it's not like they had selfies back then. It's not like they had photography of any sort. Uh, there, there was no, I mean, maybe they had name tags. Or maybe from the cloud you had, you know, the voice. And now in this corner, the one with stone tablets. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm really confused as to exactly how, unless they were announced. But, but again, we could get off on a long rabbit trail trying to figure that out. And that's not the point of it. What the point is, is that God was using Jesus at this 
most critical point before he goes to complete his ministry, bringing together the past teachings of the law and the prophets, saying, look, everything that goes beyond this point now falls under Christ. What he says goes, how he is leading is the way to follow. Period. The time of Moses, the time of Elijah are done. It is now the time of my son. So, with these questions answered, it now comes down to the fact of what the disciples do. And I think that they give us a very clear warning. Peter, James, and John. I have to appreciate the fact that they tried very hard. They were weighed down with sleep. But they stayed awake. They stayed awake. And that is the warning for us today. Stay awake. Yes, what we have to do is difficult. Yes, our ministries will drain us. They will become complicated messes where you have to deal with so much that it burdens you emotionally and physically so that you feel like you cannot go on. But stay awake. Don't give in to the tiredness. Don't give in to the fact that you want to just fall asleep and give up because then you miss it. Had they fallen asleep, they would have missed it. In fact, we see that when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes to pray and they fall asleep, so they miss it. Now this requires us to learn some. Learn to take rest. Learn to manage our time so that we don't overburden ourselves. We don't burn ourselves out. Susan came to me today and she said, you're going to take an extra day off, aren't you? I said, I'm, I'm going to make sure I take care of myself. I'm going to because it's been a long two weeks. And I appreciate that. And that's okay. I'm glad you came to me and said that. I'm glad you challenged me because we need to hold each other accountable. We need to be poking one, one another and say, look, you're working yourself too much. You're going to collapse out of exhaustion. Take some rest so you can stay awake. So you don't miss it. And as I studied this, I thought of what Arlene had said to me just a couple days earlier. The famous saying from Larry, whether your job be big or small, do it right or not at all. Amen to that. Uh, it's no use for us to try to do our jobs if we can't do it well because we're too exhausted that we're stumbling and falling. Furthermore, we need to stay awake spiritually. Not just physically, but spiritually. That means praying and praying, praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, reading scripture reading more scripture, reading the scripture, reading the scripture, enveloping the scripture, reading it, and fellowship, and fellowship, and fellowship, and fellowship, spending time with others, and fellowship, and fellowship. You see where I'm going with this? It means enveloping our entire lives around the very core functions of our faith so that spiritually we can be attuned to what God is doing. 
And if we're missing one of these, we begin to slip, we begin to fall asleep so that then we cannot be spiritually awake to see where God is working, to understand what he is trying to do. And then we might go off on a tangent, try to build shelters for a reason that was not well known. Stay awake spiritually in his word, in prayer, and in fellowship. Now is the time for us to act. Now is the time for us to move forward. Now is the time for us to put aside our twisted past. Because we have journeyed up to the mountain. We have seen the glory of God and we now need to allow ourselves to be changed by that so that we can stop living in our twisted past and move forward with the corrected future. To let go of the past things that we think we understood, the things that we thought we knew about life, and to grab hold of the things that were corrected by God. To move in light of that instead of in light of our own understanding. Because then, by moving forward with that corrected future, we are able to actually do something in this community that will make a sense and purpose. If we just keep living with our own twisted past, we're going to keep doing things that are, are selfish and, and are seeking our own desires, and, and we're going to be lost and confused and depressed. But if we allow God to say, look, I have given you a corrected future in which you can live, the promises and the hopes that you can move in, the truth and the understanding so that you can teach it, all of a sudden our path is made right. And we can have an effective ministry here in this place. Don't hold on to your past like that. The disciples were very different when they came down from that mountain. They were so flabbergasted by what happened that they could not hardly speak of it. They had to process it because it, it made no sense. Unfortunately, it took them quite a while before they finally understood it all. But then when they did, we see the church explode and go out into all the regions. I hope and pray that this walk that we have gone on has changed you. I pray that as we have journeyed to this point, God has sparked new desires, new hopes inside of you. As we move forward now to the time of Lent and Easter, I want us to not walk the same path yet again. But to travel down the new path, the corrected path. That is my hope and my prayer. Well, to help us celebrate what God has corrected. We are going to take part in communion, which is one of the most beloved ways I can think of to celebrate what God has changed. 
you can come up. Um, the communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament. It's special. It proclaims his life, his suffering, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection, and the hope that he is coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until he returns. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in a reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins and believing in Christ for salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We have an open table. You do not need to be a member. You do not need to be someone special. As long as you proclaim that Christ is Lord, you are free to partake in this celebration with us. In unity with the church, we confess our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so we pray. Holy God, we gather at this, your table, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit has anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established a new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for, my forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May I have the ushers come forth? Let us pray. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be but for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, preserve you blameless until everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you, The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. Preserve you blameless until everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. 
been a hard week, church. Those who were here on Wednesday knew my mind was so far gone. And it's been so hard to feel the burden of all the loss that has come. And I know that the temptation is to revert to our past when we feel these pains. To revert to the things that we knew because they were comfortable. But we can't go there anymore. That's twisted. It's messed up. It's not what God desired for us, and it's not what he was doing to make us new. So don't go there. But allow him to show you the corrected future that he has proclaimed in our lives. Let us pray. Oh, eternal God, you reveal to your disciples the everlasting glory of Jesus Christ. Grant to us who have not seen and yet believe the, the gift of your Holy Spirit that we may boldly live the gospel and shine with your transforming glory as people changed and changing through the redeeming presence of our Savior. Amen. I now send you, church, into your community to make Christ-like disciples. Go. You are dismissed.